Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. My name is Shay Kamrichka, and this is Two Temples, the podcast where I talk to people about their psychedelic experiences. We discuss how these experiences have helped us learn lessons and overcome personal issues. My goal is to help end the stigma surrounding psychedelics. You can help by sharing this podcast with your friends and on social media. I believe we can undo the decades of lies about psychedelics and expose their healing potential by sharing story after story until the truth is undeniable. I had the opportunity to talk to Gerardo Urias, the author of Taking Back My Mind, How I Conquered Depression and Addiction with Psychedelics, Breathwork, and Philosophy. You can find it on Amazon and Kindle. We had a long, in-depth conversation about his book, what led him to write it, his psychedelic experiences, and much more. We talked for over three hours, so make sure to check out all three parts. If you have a comment or anything you'd like to share on the podcast, please email me at twotemplespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks and enjoy. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. How are you doing? Ah, not too bad. Nice day out, so I'm, you know, I'm happy. (laughs) How about you? It's a beautiful day. Where are you calling from? Uh, Saskatchewan, Canada. Okay, up in Canada. Yeah, how about you? Where are you from? Um, I'm in San Diego, okay. California. Nice, nice. Yeah. So it's uh, sunny, sunny and beautiful as always. Well, actually, this month it's been very cloudy, uh, but I live somewhat close to the ocean, so it's a lot of gray uh, just this month. But today the sun's out. It's beautiful. That's awesome. Actually, California is one of the only places in the States I've been. I went to oh. um, L.A. years ago, and it was, it was yeah. amazing. Great weather the whole time. Nice, nice. Yeah, California has a lot. It's a big state. Has a lot to see. Yeah, we uh, we went out there for a bike trip, uh, buddy and I, and we ended up staying in Inglewood. I don't know if that was the greatest of decisions we made, but it turned out good. <laughs> I, we both enjoyed it and got back. So there's better places than Inglewood, but you know, <laughs> yeah. everywhere has its fun. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of live in the ghetto part of Saskatoon, so I'm. It is okay. what it is, whatever. <laughs> right, right. In the Sas, how do you say that? The Saskatch uh, province. Uh, Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan. I've always yeah. had a hard time saying that. Saskatchewan. Yeah, it's a... Okay, okay. There's a lot of uh, psychedelic history that took place there, actually, right? Well, from what I've heard, there was some LSD studies years ago that took place here. Um, yeah, addiction studies back in the uh, back in the fifties, fifties and sixties up in, in that province. Yeah I, yeah, I can't remember what town it was, Weyburn or started with a W. I can't exactly remember which one, but um, yeah. That's probably another complicated name. <laughs> another what? Sorry. Another another uh, hard to pronounce name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, they're all. Well, the states has some pretty wacky names too. They yeah. they all seem to be like either indigenous or, um, right. like Mexican, or Spanish, right. I guess, down mm-hmm. there. Yeah, right. Yeah, down here everything's Spanish names. Yeah, yeah. It seems everything everything um, south of uh, California, really, Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, all of its Spanish names. Yeah, because isn't anything with like San, San Francisco, mm-hmm. San Diego, exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, and like Los Angeles is mm-hmm. the, the city angels. of angels, isn't it? <laughs> oh yeah, the city of angels. I know, it's sort of ironic nowadays. Maybe it was at one point. I find it so weird that there's still a division like between the states and Mexico, but yet everything's so Spanish in the states. Right, I know. It's I know. Kind of well, it all used to. It all used to be Mexico, you know. Yeah. A long time. And so, yeah, that's where all the names come from. Yeah, it's it's odd. So you wrote a book. I'm interested in hearing about yeah. this. Taking back yeah, my mind, my journey out of depression with psilocybin mushrooms. So yeah, can you tell me a bit about that journey? Yeah, I could tell you a lot. Um, yeah, tell me all, lot, all you want. I'm here to listen. What's up? Tell tell me all you can. I'm here to listen. Um, yeah, there's, uh, well, let's see, where do we start? I mean, there's, there's the story of, of what led up to this. Uh, there's the journey through it. There's where I am now. This took place, these events took place three years ago now. So, you know, I, I started writing the book pretty, very quickly, within two weeks after eating the mushrooms, actually. So, oh, wow. So it was, <clears throat> yeah, it, I kind of saw it as an opportunity to document what was happening in real time 
And so the book sort of developed as this journey also developed. Um, so it was sort of a so progression that, through, like you started mm-hmm. it after your first trip and then you're writing it as you were tripping along, sort of? Um, well, sort of. I mean, you know, what's what's happened, what's evolved really is, um, is my journey into self-awareness, self-discovery, um, just, you know, very much expanded consciousness. Um, it's an ever-evolving journey, really, okay. that I started that day. And that's what continues now to this day. And so the book has sort of evolved into um, sort of a guidebook on what I've learned throughout the journey. You know, so so it's you know it's it's my story also wrapped up into a guidebook because I don't cover just psilocybin. I don't cover cover just the psychedelics and how that transformed everything. That catapulted me into lots of different practices and breath work. Um, I really got into yoga meditation immediately. Okay. Um, used all this sort of together synergistically um got into philosophy uh very much so which is a big part of my book as well and so it's it's really about how i use and continue to use all of these tools to um just to really thrive and live you know ecstatically every day okay Um, that sounds awesome i have a a long history of psychedelics too i I, 20 years ago i'd done quite a few um quite a few mushrooms and, and whatnot so I have a long history with that as well. So yeah, wherever you'd like to start. Well, <clears throat> so where did the depression start? Were you depressed as a as yeah. a kid? Mm-hmm. No. So so yeah, I'll, I'll kind of give you a brief um, a brief wrap up of, of my life up to, until the depression started. You know, I, I I never was depressed actually. So I was a pretty happy kid most of my life. Um, in hindsight, I did go through a lot of trauma and life was difficult as a child. I just didn't really think about that. I didn't really believe that for a long time until recently. So I started reflecting on my behaviors and where all this, you know, where all of it comes from. Okay. So as a so, kid, yeah, you're sort of positive, like you're a positive kid. You're able to see past like the yeah, negative was, traumas and stuff. I was a positive kid. I was okay. a positive kid. I was a positive, happy kid. So I never, I never dealt with depression. I still, I still would say that I never had an issue depression um ever you know i i had rough times but all of those rough times and the traumas that i did experience um they manifested in me in anger issues and anger and frustration issues um not necessarily depression right so i was never really depressed which is one which is the reason one of the main reasons why when i did get depressed it knocked me down so hard you know because i've never dealt with it i did i felt very confident especially at this point i mean i have to give you a snapshot um of what happened. So three years ago, just a snapshot of my life. After uh, working for a long time and saving money and and uh, um, you know, kind of preparing for um, career and whatnot, um, I met my now ex-wife. I met her working while I was working at a bar in, in Orange County. <clears throat> and so we were. She was a bartender and I was the bar manager. And we fell in love, and we both had a lot of travel history, travel background. We love traveling. That's kind of what connected us. Um, so we made a plan to work hard for a few. She, she became a nurse, and so we we didn't really like how much how expensive the life was here in San Diego. Okay. And uh, you know the the rat race, and I've never been I've never been I tried the corporate thing. Um, but it just was never me. I, I'm definitely a traveler at heart. Um, so we made a plan to work for a few years, save our money, and, and go and try and start a business somewhere, do something exciting. So we did that. That developed. We sold everything. This was um, you know now six, seven years ago. Sold everything and, and hit the road, went down to Panama, uh, just to try and start a business. And that led us for the next three, four years throughout Central America, living in different places, managing different hostels, exploring different um different areas of businesses to start, um, tried to start a brewery in Nicaragua, oh, different cool. things like that. I mean, ended up in Mexico <laughs> and finally succeeded in opening a small vacation rental business. We were living right there on the beach in Playa Carmen and uh, had our business going. Everything was going good. And so that's where this story really starts. So everything's great. At this point, like I'm at the pinnacle of my success in life. I'm loving life, living on the beach. Um, uh, you know, I'm working a few hours a week. Everything's automated. My 20 uh, or my 40th birthday, January 29th, um, three years ago, 
I went to Europe for a ski trip because I, I spent a long time when I was in my youth skiing as well. I moved to Germany when I was 20 and, and ended up living in, in the Alps for several years. Um, part of my story as well, the prologue actually kind of opens up with a little bit of my history back then. So anyways, took a two-year ski trip to, to the Alps um, with my best friend. It was just epic. It was amazing. So at this point, I'm on top of the world. Had a great time. Came back to Playa del Carmen. And things had been festering in my marriage. And when I got back, things just hit a breaking point. So, so that's where it starts. Um, right there, it was apparent we were going to get a divorce. And that's where everything started. Okay. So immediately, you know, everything, my entire life that I've, I've built and we had built for the last four years, really traveling throughout Central America, Mexico and, and all, everything we did just came to a halt. Um, didn't know what to do. You know, I was, I didn't, I was living in Mexico. So I was, we were on our own over there with family over there, families here in the U.S. We had wrapped up our life here, really. Uh, we didn't really have any ties here except just a few boxes. And so everything halted. Um, divorce process started. I instantly, of course, was depressed and a lot of anxiety and didn't, just had lost. I had no idea what I was going to do with the marriage, with the business, and what life. And so then I just couldn't take it. I couldn't handle it for like a week or two. I was, I was having anxiety attacks. And so I decided to go home, be with my family for a few weeks, think, think it through, you know, figure it out. Mm -hmm. And so, so I hopped on a flight to go be with my family, um, and I think it was just like two days, yeah, it was like two days after I got there, uh, my sister calls my brother. I went to my brother's house to hide. I didn't tell anybody I was coming home. I was, okay. it was just, it was so bad, you know? So no, I, I, I understand. Knew, yeah, nobody knew I was even in uh, California. Okay. I, I just landed with my brother. I was just like, I'm going to hide out in the apartment, in your apartment for like a week, a few weeks. I don't know. Figure. <laughs> yeah, get, get your mind straight. Yeah, right. So I did that. And two days later, my sister calls uh, my brother that my dad had a stroke. Oh, and so, um, yeah, so I ended up being a bad stroke. Uh, he passed away two weeks after that. So those next two weeks, you know, we were we were uh, at the hospital with my dad and watching his body shut down and you know so all this cap just happened all at once um went through that process it was just painful was, i mean you know it's hard it's kind of interesting because when i reflect back on it i know it was so painful and it was incredibly i mean i couldn't fathom like i couldn't um i just couldn't hold it together you know yeah but i i don't you know, now when I reflect back on it, I don't feel that depression that I felt. And we'll get into this in the conversation. It just, um, I can reflect on it from a different perspective and sort of uh, an objective. Without getting emotional. Yeah, without without getting uh, emotional. Yeah, without feeling what I felt back then. Yeah, like it, you've accepted it? Is that... I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess you can call it, you know, extreme acceptance or whatever it is, but, um, yeah, it was, I mean, it was just very, very, very bad. Yeah. So, so anyway, so that, that happened, um, a few weeks after that, I realized my hearing was diminishing. I went to the doctor to get checked out because I was, you know, my blood pressure was sky high. I was just like such a mess. And, um, so went to the doctor to get checked out um, and realized that I had lost about 80% of my hearing over the last few years. I had this this rare condition called otosclerosis that diminishes your hearing. It calcifies your inner or middle ear and uh, just stops transmitting sound over time. Okay. And I had realized this, like in the last year of my marriage, I realized it because my, my wife would say something in the next room, I wouldn't hear it, you know, and it actually became a lot of arguments because she'd be saying something and I just couldn't hear. <laughs> right. uh, but I just dismissed it. I didn't really, you know, I didn't think it was a big deal. Anyways, when I went to the doctor, I was, I was about 80% deaf, you know. And so I had to have surgery because it wasn't, it was just going to get worse. I was going to lose all my hearing. So I needed to get surgery. I didn't have insurance. I, I didn't have money, obviously, to pay for surgery in the U.S. I had no idea what to do. And so... Those happened and entered depression, you know. Um, Did you end up getting the surgery? 
And did it work? I did. Mm -hmm. I did about mm, seven months later. Okay. Seven months after that, I did get the surgery, and I got my hearing back, and that kind of coincided. It actually very much coincided with uh, the day that I ate the mushrooms and the day that I discovered this um, breath work that really transformed my life as well. And, and so all that actually coincided in the same month, really kind of catapulting me back to, you know, back to really high levels of ecstatic. So it was such a roller coaster. It was just from on top of the world, and then life just threw these major life events at me. And then I lost, of course, I lost the business in my home in Mexico. I had to move back to San Diego just to stay on my sister's couch because I had no idea what to do. Um, and I had no motivation to do anything. And I, so I wrapped up life in Mexico, closed down the business, and just start over, you know. Really, and of course, uh, financially, I was I was struggling. I lost a lot of money in the right. divorce and whatnot. So back to square zero, really, in San Diego. And that that next, from that point, for the next ten months, were very bad depression. I was there was no shaking me out of depression. It was continually and progressively worse. Um, and to the point of where I was having suicidal ideations, I really didn't want to live. I, I didn't care what happened. And I say suicidal ideations because I never came up with a plan, but I didn't care to live. But then I realized that I was sort of um, subconsciously carrying out that plan because I was living recklessly. I started drinking heavily, um, just living really recklessly. And, of course, the more reckless you live, the, the more prone you are to accidents. And I realized... And I was kind of just wishing something would happen. I just disappear when not to make that decision, you know. Okay. Yeah, and and so that continued. That continued worse and worse. I, you know, the I went to the hospital a few times because of panic attacks. Um, I uh, ended up in jail. Um, you know, the next stop was the morgue. It was absolutely certain, certain of that. So there was ten months of that hell. And then after a few days after my jail incident was rock bottom, and I still didn't care. I was just like, okay, whatever. You know? um, that was just a different. It's such a different person. It's insane. So then my brother suggested uh, magic mushrooms. I try magic mushrooms, and I thought about it, and I'd heard about it. I actually researched it for about two years before this because my wife, my ex-wife, had depression anxiety issues her whole life um, you know she we both had a rough childhood so so she had these issues and, and I had been researching this because I, I, I was aware of the use of psilocybin to treat depression okay. um, so I knew about it I, I, I knew very much about it but it was interesting I just couldn't apply that to me it didn't seem like it would work well, you know my brother suggested it and I just thought that there's no way that this events aren't going to change. That that isn't going to bring her, my wife back. That's not going to be my life in Mexico back. It's not going to bring my dad back. Mm-hmm. At this point, I'm still deaf. So, so. Um, you know, yeah, you weren't really in a healing mentality, hey? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's everything's up in the air. Yeah. So I, I just thought, there's no way in hell. You know, I realize now I was basing my life on events that happened and what I've learned not through this journey into philosophy is, you know, it's the opinion of events that, that actually make your life. You know, so I was I was hinging everything on the events that already happened. They already happened. I can't change them. So then my life, life is totally screwed and I was certain of that. Um, and that's that perspective shift that happened, you know. So even though I didn't, I, I was pretty, I was certain that it wouldn't work. I, I, I figured I may have a nice day or something and but the problems aren't going away. So I, I figured I'd try it because, you know, I was certain that I wasn't really going to make it too much longer anyway, so I might as well try anything. Okay, so, so, so how long ago did you first try mushrooms? Well, okay, Or like so for where... the healing, I guess. Because you said you had yeah. done it in the past, right? I've Just done for... it, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, so this is go, kind of goes back into my earlier um, history. When I moved to Germany, when I was uh, actually 19, uh, I was there for a few years, and so my friends and I experimented with uh, mushrooms up in Amsterdam okay. several times, and, and down in the forests in Bavaria, and it was it was incredible. We did it quite a, quite a bit. It was amazing, magical, always just completely it, euphoric. And it was legal there, right? In Amsterdam, it is yes. Yeah. Okay. 
And in, my, in Germany, uh, at the time, I believe it was legal to consume. It's sort of like we're aiming to be here now, decriminalizing. Okay. Uh, so you can possess and consume. I, I'm pretty certain it was in Germany. But yeah, in, in Amsterdam and the Netherlands, it's completely legal, commercial. It's it's uh, completely normal over there. <laughs> cool. I know. Yeah. That's a great thing about travel, you know. You, uh, you yeah, see these sure. things. You see different normals. I heard yeah. that they changed it so that, or at least for like marijuana, um, for travelers, like you had to be a resident or something, or there was a limit on how much a, a visitor could get. Right. They, they have been tweaking those laws ever since I've been there. So for 20 years, they've been trying to change different things. And when I remember when that happened, but then I went for a visit to Amsterdam uh, probably about seven years ago. And that wasn't happening at all. <laughs> so okay. it's it's like a lot of places where they pass laws, but a lot of times it's not what really happens. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's as far as I know, it's it's the same. Really. Um, but the uh, right. Where was I going with that? Uh, first mushroom. Yeah, trip. So those. Mm -hmm. So those those experiences were the other time in my life when I did experience that. That was twenty years ago. And then after that, when I came back to the U.S., then I, I didn't I didn't try them anymore. So 20 years passed, and I kind of forgot about them, you know. So at this point, I that was a memory, uh, and I remember the amazing times I had. But I didn't tie, I didn't piece two and two together. That though, and and that actually developed into um, the prologue in my book because I realized during this journey, I realized that my entire life after my time in Germany, the last 20 years really, I have had a much different perspective of life than most of my friends, and definitely most of my family. Um, and I attribute that to the experiences that I had back then in Germany, and the person that I became. I told you I've never had an issue with depression. I've always been a very, very motivated, ecstatic, happy, you know, um, go get them type of person uh, okay. and I believe that is due to my experiences my years in, in Bavaria and experimenting with these mushrooms you uh, know so I didn't quite tie that experience to what I was going through now and thought well if that if that literally developed my brain into the personality I became because this is what they're showing in science now you know the Psychedelics have the power to reroute information um, patterns and neurological connections, and this is again part of the thesis of my book: is we have the power with these tools and the tools that I cover in my book to um, to really reprogram yourself, to reconfigure things, to create a new perspective, a new outlook, a, literally a new personality. Really, when you break it down. And so I knew nothing of this approaching this state, but I thought, what the hell? Let's give it a shot. So that's, you know, that's kind of explains my prior use, but that was a long time ago. So I, I hadn't, and, and this information wasn't around. It was still, 20 years ago, it was still very much in the U.S. There wasn't these studies that are, that are, have been going on for the last 10 years. Yeah, it was more so like a recreational thing, right? Like the... Right. Back then, mm -hmm. back then, all I knew of it was recreational, and yeah. it was amazing recreation. I didn't know that there was actual therapy going on in my head, you know, and now I can see it and now I can see, wow, that I would be a completely different person if it wasn't for those experiences. Yeah, you know? I, I totally get that. I've I've been a changed person as well, so <laughs> or I am a changed yeah. person, I guess. Right. It's yeah, it's quite incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that uh, we kind of bounced around a bit there. Um, that explains my history a bit and going back to this day uh, right so I thought let's just give it a shot right? so then what was your your first um, I guess <laughs> medicinal trip like mm -hmm. yeah yep that would be yeah that would be this day on December 22nd 2017 that was three years ago um, <clears throat> almost three years ago so what was that, that like that was incredible at this <laughs> point again I am in just utter, utter depression and just, you know, three days away from Christmas. Uh, it was just horrible. And so my brother came in, came to the apartment early in the morning with a few, a few mushrooms. And I was 
you know, I was hopeless, but I was kind of hopeful, maybe, probably because it was a nice sunny day, and I was, my sister's apartment was on the beach in Oceanside, so she has a, an ocean view from her apartment. So it was kind of a nice day, and my brother was coming over, and, you know, deep down, I remembered these mushrooms. I remember they were nice. So there was a little bit of a positivity that, that hadn't existed really at all for the past 10 months. You know? Okay. Do you know how so, much you did on the first one? It was, you know, we didn't measure it. I was a small handful. I would say okay. it was probably about three to four small mushrooms, um, maybe almost an eighth of okay. a gram. Yeah. So, which is a standard dose. So I did probably a little bit less than than a standard dose. Not a heroic dose. Not a not an ego dis, um, dissolving dose. Sorry, right? you said because an was, eighth, like a, like three point five grams. Yeah, less. I I would say less. Um, okay. A little bit less than an eighth. Okay. Yeah, and that. Um, That'd be know, a good most, trip. Uh, most people, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Most people for their first time, they take an eighth. And it's pretty strong, you know, but it's not quite ego dissolving. If you want ego dissolving, where you really, you know, there's a line where you can function and you you really shouldn't yeah. shouldn't function, and that gets to about above three grams, four grams, five grams. That's right. But I was below. We were below that, you know. So we were we had just a handful, three, four slow mushrooms. Did he do them with you, or? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So he we took about the same. Um, basically split the small amount that he had. Do you think that um, helped or like? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, I wouldn't change a thing about the day at all because we we are very close, him and I. Um, you know, there's a whole history in my family as well. Part of that is in my book. Um, but my family's very traditional. Uh, I'm the baby. I'm 43-year-old baby, so they're a lot older as well, so very conservative. <clears throat> and different levels of closeness with different family members, right? right? But he and I have been very close, um, actually, ever since we started talking about mushrooms <laughs> a long time ago. He, connected he, spent some time in India. he spent some time in India, and uh, he had some experiences, and he, he shared them with me. And bef before that, you know, it's, I mean, it's a secret, my family doesn't you don't tell them the, anything about drugs just bad you know it's like drugs are bad that's <laughs> that's the mentality of most of my family so were they um, kind of thrown off when you came out of came out with a book about psilocybin yes yes and it, it has caused a lot of strain <laughs> it's caused a lot of strain and there's to this there's day or have they sort of gone past yeah. it no currently yeah i, I right find now. it sort of odd how um like i talked to another guy who wrote a book on here um well you know him but why can't i remember his name now uh, greg uh, greg greg yeah yeah just greg, yeah 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 he's a great guy yeah i'm just working on our episode of the podcast and um i guess his sister was a bit upset no uh, i can't remember now i've talked to a few people and they're sort of jumbling up now but yeah just... i saw no i saw his post about that it was his sister yeah 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 okay i find it odd that um, like you see how depressed your family member is and then they get better using at least that from the help of these um, substances like how do you I, get upset about that like oh you should have taken pills or something like I, I, I just don't understand that mentality you know well you know I mean it's oh man it's very interesting how much <clears throat> I've really dove into this a lot as well and the psychology behind all this stuff yeah you i'm know, gonna have to pick up your book um, i'm interested in reading it yeah it's, it's on amazon you know, it's right? a lot more... what's up it's okay. on amazon yeah yeah is there any other places yeah. you can get it or not just, currently just amazon not currently um i only have it i self-published it on amazon because and this was part of the struggle the, you know, to write this book, it's been an enormous challenge, as you can imagine. Oh, I, yeah. um, enormous challenge, my God! It's taken every ounce of energy I have, and every, every ounce of mental strength <laughs> that I have, and financially as well. So I, I have been down the road of trying to get a publisher. I tried to start a Kickstarter campaign, but that didn't work out. Spent a, a good month or two just setting that up, so that was very exhausting when that didn't work out. 
Um, that kind of led into uh, the current issues with my family. Because, and you know, I don't want to go too much into it because it is current and new, and uh, whatever you want to talk about. Big, yeah, it's a big thing. But you know, I, I at one at some points I, I felt not supported, of course, and uh, I needed to get somehow get the book published, get some money together, and so that yeah, that gives you an idea of the the family issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the really interesting thing that I've figured out over the last year, especially is, and I'm going to go off probably a little bit of a tangent here, um, but this frustration with trying to get the book published um, has brought out some previous behaviors in me, like anger, for instance, that I thought I had eradicated for a good year and a half. So after this day, after this December 22nd day, then we'll get back to it in a little bit. <laughs> uh, after this day, I was just ecstatic. I mean, I was just inc- so I couldn't believe it, and I dove into all these things, and I immediately, you know, like I said, two weeks later, I started writing a book. So a week after that, I moved to Lake Tahoe to kind of begin a new life. Uh, I spent the whole winter skiing. I got some more mushrooms, so I started microdosing to get off of the antidepressants I was on. Okay, what what was your dose for that? Which worked beautifully. I would. I've never been a guy to measure the dose digitally, or you know, to. Mm-hmm. I, I've always been an eyeball kind of guy so honestly I just would eat a small tiny cap okay or a small piece a small piece of a stem you know I would equate that to probably 0.010203 of a gram okay probably if I weighed it yeah so very you know you want of course the microdose you want the subperceptual level um, yeah and that's a very hard thing to achieve sometimes though because I don't know I have microdose where I'm feeling very euphoric very subtly, a very subtle euphoria. I don't know. Since I'm noticing it, well, that's not subperceptual by definition, but completely on top of everything. You know, it's it's kind of a fine line. I mean, the whole idea is new, sort of new, anyways. But it works. It worked immensely. It would just get me in such a great mood. Even you know, on the off days is actually when I was when I noticed the the effects of microdosing. So the the day of microdosing, I would feel really great. Sometimes anxiety can get in there. Some things, if you're doing something that's technical or a little complicated, it can be a little stressful. But the next day and two days after, I always felt so sharp and just in a great mood. And this is also how the science of it works. So the the microdosing idea is actually a prolonged um, effect that kind of you get the benefits like the next day. So what was the schedule like? Did you have a schedule so the schedule is like every third day, every third or fourth day. I'd eat a small piece. Okay. Because you also build up a tolerance very fast, so you don't mm-hmm. want to take it every day. Otherwise, you're just wasting your, your money. Yeah. No toxicity. There's nothing really that'll happen. It's just you'll just be um, you know wasting your money. Uh, that's one of the reasons it's not addictive, is you build up a tolerance very very fast. Yeah, which is. Uh, I mean, it's a good thing. <laughs> as good much thing, yeah, as it sucks, but it's a good thing. Right, I know. It's you know, it's part of nature's incredibly intelligent design. I mean, imagine if they were addictive and we just couldn't use them. Yeah, um, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. it's incredible the, the design. Um, and so, so anyway, so that um, I, I wanted to say talk about that because from the point after December twenty second, so I mean, literally December twenty third, I had been feeling you know depressed, anger, lonely. Uh, anxiety, stress, um, just no self-worth, all of those feelings, right? December 23rd, those feelings were gone. They were just gone. And they they, they stayed gone. They stayed gone for a year and a half. Up in Lake Tahoe, just, I mean, life got better and better and better, whether it was because of the microdosing, whether it was because I was skiing every day in Lake Tahoe, of course, I mean, that's, you know, that's <laughs> incredible in itself but it was that's how I lived like my life I almost spent 10 years skiing in Utah and Lake Tahoe after skiing in, in Bavaria for three years and spent summer surfing in Hawaii and that's kind of that's who I became after Germany is I wanted to ski and surf around the world and, and that's what I did yeah it sounds great yeah. that's the life and, right <laughs> yeah it's it is and it's the life and because it makes me happy you know so I you can look at this and you can say, well, yeah, you're skiing in Lake Tahoe. Of course, you're going to be happy. 
but that's why I choose to do that because it does make me happy, you know. And I hadn't, the thing is I hadn't, even though I'd spent my entire life skiing, and that's really literally like my passion, what brings me just the, be the best ecstatic feeling, um, I lost that. So during this 10 months, I never thought, I want to go to Lake Tahoe ski. No, I, you know, people would suggest that actually. They would say, hey, why don't you go to Lake Tahoe ski? That'll cheer you up. Nope. No, I was like, no, no interest in skiing. Nothing. So something, you know, some, it switches on the decisions that make you happy, you know. It's, it's a, a, a cascade of events, really. So was there an event or multiple events in your trip that you can sort of look back on and say, well, this sort of, like, helped me get over, like, this anger or this depression or anything? Like... Uh, it was, you know, the, the flipped perspective, um, when we go into a little more detail about the December, the day on December 22nd, it was the flipped perspective um, that washed all that away. So it's kind of a logical thing, really. Um, but um, I'll tell you, let me just finish up. Um, yep, sorry. We're always go going through Yeah, because it's kind of a, important to me now that I'm going through this process with this book now is after this whole year and a half where I was like in the clouds, you know, life is just excellent, amazing, no more anger issues, all that's gone. Then I started to, like, at this point I still was kind of down financially from the divorce. So money, you know, I'm not rolling in the money here. So I came back to San Diego at one point to be with my family and to kind of see if they could help me a bit or maybe I could stay with them and get this book done. My goal has been to get the book done somehow, you know. And so that's where I started getting into some difficulties and some challenges and the dynamics of my family. My family's been a very ego-driven family my entire lives. I had a huge ego problem my entire life up until now. I didn't see it until now, really. And I, that's kind of where I'm going with this. So it, I felt like as though I had been liberated from the ego and all okay. those processes for a good year and a half and then I came back to my family and then I started getting these again and I started picking fights with my family I started getting resentful that I wasn't getting that they weren't interested in the book and again half my family just didn't talk about the book it's much too uncomfortable for them you know so then I would develop the feelings of um, of not being supported as opposed to which is a function of the ego, you know, basically my ego came back, like, with the struggles with my family in the book. And so the important distinction there is that, and this is what my book is about, is I stopped listening to my own advice. I stopped, I stopped reading my own book. I started allowing the ego to, to display, you know, these behaviors and, and things. And so I caused some problems, you know, I caused some problems with my family. Um, and I say that because I did, because I... That's one of the main tenets of my book is you can't control anything else except your, your own thoughts, your own mind. And, and so I didn't do that. And so then I left because I, I was just too much. And I was like, whoa, what happened? I, all of a sudden, like, my ego's back. You know? and, I, and so I thought, is it my family brings, bringing out of me? And I, so I stepped away again. I went to La Paz in Mexico for a few months to finish the book. This actually just happened recently up until COVID. So I was down there until COVID hit and life was great again. And once again, I was ecstatic and I was like, oh, that's awesome. So I had this dilemma. I had this just happened very recently, like in, in January. I had this dilemma, like, God, what? okay, so my family brings out my ego. And I realized it very clearly because I've, I've been continuing to, uh, to take mushrooms sort of strategically here and there. I don't do the microdosing anymore. I like doing spaced out macrodosing every few months maybe I feel you there. Uh, like an eighth you know do like an eighth I find I just get a lot more insights and and it's a really a, a big reset button um, much more and I have other things I do for the maintenance of my mental state breath work and whatnot that the microdosing isn't isn't uh, I have more I feel I, I have more powerful ways to to do that so I like to every few months take um, like a bigger bigger dose so I've, I've done that throughout and I've seen very clearly, yes, my, my family brings out my ego, of course. Because why? Because that's where I came from. That the language that we speak to each other is the language we grew up speaking. And the way that we relate to each other is the way we relate we related to each other's children. And of course, this is all psychology. This goes back to everything. It all makes sense. And it's these 
patterns of, of anger and frustration and needing to be right. That was huge in my family. My brother's a lawyer. He became a lawyer because we were always arguing and we always had to be right. That's how much, <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, literally, we were always had to be right. And he, that literally forced him to become a lawyer. So it's very deep in the psyche. And, and I realized, wow, the only language I know with my family is like this ego-driven language that also comes out when you're trying to survive. And that's what I realized very much too. I've, I've been, I was fine financially for that year and a half and I kind of dipped down to being in a little trouble. And I've realized very clearly that when you're in survival mode, that's the ego's job. It's, you know, these mechanisms in the brain have developed over millions of years to survive, to survive anything. Yeah. And that's why the ego exists. And we need the ego, you know, we, all this work is to undo and tra transcend the ego, but you cannot function without the ego. That's why you're alive. No, it, so it's I, very important to have it, but it's also very important to have these experiences where you you lose it for a, a short amount of time, you know, and then you sort of realize that you, you see your ego more because you don't mm -hmm. have it for a small amount of time. Yes, exactly. That's a great way of putting it. Mm -hmm. You get these little windows uh, of, uh, of peeking in through a different window and a different yeah. perspective, yeah. Yeah, for me, like I, I like to do LSD and I, I've said it many times on the podcast, but it's like putting up a mirror in front of me, you know, and I can see myself. So it's like, a, yeah, right. it, yeah, it's I can see Very what I'm much. doing wrong. I can see what sort of I have to change, what I don't like about myself, sort of, you know, and it just that, that it helps me a lot personally. Very much so. Yeah, no, that's a great analogy. That's a great way of putting it. Mm -hmm. Do you use anything other than mushrooms? Like, have you tried MDMA or um, like LSD, ketamine, mm -hmm. anything like that for the depression? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've tried MDMA quite a few times. Um, I do like it. I do like it a lot. I don't really like the come down afterwards. Okay. Um, the way it affects me, <clears throat> you know, everybody's different. But for me, I don't necessarily like that component. Um, but it is, I can see that it can be very useful and it is being very useful right now in studies with PTSD. Yeah, that's, that's actually quite exciting. Yeah, it's quite exciting. I don't know if you've been following what MAPS is doing um, with their uh, their phase three clinical trials now. They're actually trying to fund that through the capstone challenge. They're trying to raise like $30 million to, uh, to continue these phase three trials. And if they succeed, which they, I'm certain they absolutely will. I mean, the first two trials just blew it out of the water. Like, 68% success rate, I think, after a year with PTSD, um, veterans who had PTSD, just so much more successful than anything that's on the market. Um, and that might even go up as we learn to um, have better therapies for it, right? Like when we sort of learn the language to use to talk to them and sort of take away the human element and just sort of right. mm -hmm. help guide the exactly. med medicine instead of sort of, yeah, that human element guiding it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we would already be there. You know, we really have to think of this as uh, we are just picking the baton back up. You know, they, yeah. this was already happening 40 years ago. And then they got, just got put, it just got halted. All the science, all the research, all these things just stopped. And uh, so now, you know, these people, Rick Dobbin, it's incredible what he's done. The last 30 years he's been working on bringing it back and all the different arenas of, of psychedelic research is coming back strong now. So it's we're picking up where it, it was. So yeah, we have to introduce all the elements. How does psychotherapy play into it? What form of psychotherapy plays into it? So much to learn. It's really in its infancy. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you've tried MDMA, yeah, any LSD or? Um... MDMA, um, I've tried LSD quite a few times. I, I like that a lot as well. My, I think mushrooms and LSD are very similar. Um, I think LSD in general is stronger and different in a, a few different ways. I, I normally feel more spiritual with mushrooms and I think I, I prefer the overall feeling a little bit better with mushrooms. Um, I think okay. it's a little easier to use as well because it's a shorter experience. So you're talking four or five hours instead of eight, ten hours sometimes. Yeah. Um, as a result, though, you know, that 
also if you have that that could mean twice the experience so a lot of times that's why these lsd chips create such insight and, and change life so drastically because you just had a 10-hour experience that's just you know out of this world yeah so, i think that's what i enjoy a little more about um lsd mm -hmm. like i just i feel like it's sort of lighter on my body but it it's mm -hmm. It still does all the things I want it to, like that mushrooms do, from my opinion. Um, like it gets me in my own mind. It gets me thinking all crazy and new ideas and stuff. Um, right. And right. what what I like about it most is just how it relaxes my body. I've, I have a very tense, like especially lower half and like lower back. But it right. just like releases all of that and I'm able to just like let go and... That's what yeah. I like about it. Whereas mushrooms sort of, at least with lower doses, um, like under five grams, not, not, I, I shouldn't say lower doses, but um, right. like under five grams, I sort of just feel like, like I have a cold or something. Like it just doesn't mm -hmm. really right. flip that switch as much. Maybe I just need a little oh. higher dose. Or Sometimes I like to take a tab or two with the mushrooms right. just to get that um relaxed feeling you know but... yeah mm -hmm. right right yeah and mushrooms seem a bit more particular to different people i know a few people who it just doesn't affect them for some reason yeah. um, but lsd does usually seem to to work for most people but it seems quite common that mushrooms just either don't work for people or it just it kind of has a weak effect yeah. Um, and that, you know, that I, I started looking into that and why that could be, and that could be a problem within the body, uh, within the serotonin receptors themselves. Um, that's a whole new science. That, so. Yeah. Well, I, I never really give it a long time to like um, bring down my tolerance because I know there is a bit of a cross tolerance between LSD and mushrooms. Yeah. Um, right. So I don't usually, sometimes I'll give it like two weeks or whatever, but usually if I do mushrooms, it's like a week. If, if I have a week or like the weekend off or something in between my two week schedule, then I'll do like the mushrooms just to right. break it up. Cause uh, sometimes I don't know if when my next day is off will be. So I want to make sure that I have my, my little therapy session. Um, right. But yeah, yeah so maybe yeah. I just need to, Maybe give it a month and then do a do a dose of mushrooms mm -hmm. and then it'll hit me better. Right. Maybe yeah, I'm the uh, problem. Maybe you're just eating way too many mushrooms. I mean, no, I I've felt that. I've felt the tolerance where it just it doesn't work for a good amount of time, and then you know I figure a week is gone, still not working. But I think the tolerance does last a while sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes you have to just you just have to stop for like a month or something. Um, uh, which is again why I kind of started, or I stopped microdosing, is because of that also. Because well, it's, you know, I don't really know how how much of a tolerance I'm building. Is it really working? Do I need it? Um, and you know, again, strip everything down to its essentials and to what what you can really benefit from. And I've I've found it's not for me. It's not worth the hassle and of microdosing. But again, that's because of this breathwork that maybe we'll talk about here in a bit. Um, because this particular type of breathwork, along with other types of breathwork, um, have shown now to release DMT. So that's another, I was going to say MDMA, I'm a big fan of mushrooms, um, LSD, and DMT. I have not done exogenous DMT, so I haven't smoked DMT, but this breathwork induces DMT, and I feel it pretty strongly sometimes, and I'm, I, I can't, I haven't been hooked up to an MRI, so I don't know, but I'm pretty certain that's what I'm feeling, and studies have shown that we do indeed induce DMT during certain types of breath work. So, I'm, so I'm, I sort of have a theory about that. Is it when you're doing that? It, are you doing the the Wim Hof? Is that yeah? Okay, method, yeah. So when you're doing it, do you sort of feel lightheaded? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Lightheaded. Like, my theory is that, and I'm I I, I don't I haven't read this anywhere that. That's the only reason I'm saying it's my theory. But maybe, you know how, like, when you're blowing up an air mattress and you get lightheaded? Maybe that's, like, you know, you're starting into a DMT trip or something. And Yeah, well, yeah, and maybe you're just, you don't know how to control it, you know? And and then you sort of might pass out. 
but if you can like learn how to control that lightheaded feeling maybe that is right. like the the dmt mm -hmm. yeah i mean it, it's uh you are corrected it, because the wim hof method is literally um manipulating your oxygen and co2 levels uh so when during the breath hold your co2 is rising and, and eventually you know, if you don't take that breath of air, you will pass out. So you are kind of riding that line of consciousness, but that's kind of where, that's where DMT resides, really. So okay. they've found DMT in, in recent studies with rats. They've found DMT in pineal gland and some other areas of the brain, actually. Yeah, I've heard uh, lungs, like that it's actually produced lungs, in yeah. the lungs, eh? DMT, they believe, uh, I don't know if they've, they've shown, if they've proven it, but they believe there's a lot of DMT in the lung tissue. But they've definitely conclusively found it in rats in the pineal gland, a few other spots in the brain, and it does excrete. Your brain does excrete DMT when you die. So when these rats were uh, had cardiac arrest, there was a surge of DMT. So you know, if you're talking death and consciousness passing out, it's kind of that area where DMT resides. Um, dreaming. So they theorize DMT is responsible somewhat for dreaming as well. Yeah, uh, it's really new. I mean, DMT, the discovery of DMT is quite new, so we're going to learn a whole lot about that too. And I feel like it's a hard thing to test on or test like when your brain is exc like excreting DMT. Right, right. You know, the only way that they can do it now is with rats and make them have heart attacks, and that's horrible. But that's you know, so it's very hard to study, especially in humans. Yeah. Um, so we don't, you know, we don't have a lot of conclusive evidence about the DMT activity in humans. But I can say it is one hell of a feeling, and I'm pretty certain that it, there's some DMT in there. Um, from the visuals that I get, and the feel, you know, DMT is just like one molecule away from serotonin and from most tryptamine. So the differences in molecular structure between DMT, serotonin, LST, mescaline, all the tryptamines really, very closely resembled, you know. So um, the feeling I get on that we get on on mushrooms that euphoric feeling that's that's kind of pretty much what I get um, during the the breath work as well. So uh, you know I, I'm pretty certain it's kind of it's kind of the thesis of my book as well is that we you know we are actually just um, inducing DMT we're inducing all of these amazing chemicals in our in our heads. Um, the Wim Hof method is actually shown to activate the, our opioid receptors, our, our cannabinoid receptors, which are the receptors, obviously, that you, when you smoke marijuana, you know, the THC connects to these receptors, opioids, uh, all of those relaxing drugs, heroin, all that, that we connects to these receptors. So we have these receptors and we can activate them naturally with no danger by just filling it with oxygen. And they've shown this conclusively in Wim Hof himself. So these are human studies. Cool. So if, if this network has the ability to activate cannabinoid and opioid system, you know, I, I'm pretty certain it also has the ability to activate DMT. Yeah, I mean, why not? <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I'm... I mean, if I feel it, it's one reason, you know, one reason. Um, whatever it is, if it's not DMT, it's so amazing. And so that's my maintenance. That's, you know, that's my microdose. I mean, I do that every day. Um, oh, so yeah? Really... You, you meditate every day? Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right on. How, how long per day? Yeah. Uh, I try and do a It was an hour when I was really doing this whole journey. I was in Tahoe ski and I had to get a schedule. I would spend an I would get up at six in the morning because I was working on the mountain. So I would get up at five, sometimes five or six in the morning and do a small yoga routine. I, I really got into yoga, but then I developed my own little morning routine because it's another theory of mine that I practice that, you know, you, I, I like to wake my body up and use my body before I use my mind in the morning. So if I can beat my mind to the punch, just right away get into this routine, it makes my day incredible. And that's pretty much what I've done, you know, for the last three years. And so I get up right away and, and do like 20 minutes yoga just to get the blood flowing and, and stretch out. Yeah, okay. Especially for skiing, I really focused a lot on stretching because I was up on the mountain working and skiing. So, so I do some stretching and yoga, and then I lay down and do some Wim Hof breathing for about 15 minutes. So you know, about a half hour there, and then I jump into an ice shower. In Tahoe, the water is very cold, so um, that was very convenient up there in the winter. 
so the water coming out of the shower is ice, ice cold. So then I jump right into the ice shower, you know, take a few minutes ice shower, and I, at that point, I'm just radiating. I just feel so good. <laughs> and so and that's it. I think it's about 40 minutes, maybe, and squeeze it into a half hour. And I do that every morning, and I, I mean, I just feel incredible. It's, it's I've talked to other, I know that it's real because I know there's a lot of other like Wim Hofers who feel this way in the way that I feel, and on the Facebook page for Wim Hof, there's hundreds of thousands of members, and there's a lot of talk about this euphoric feeling. So I know it, I know other people feel it, but it's hard to convince your your friends and family to try it really, <laughs> and to to give it their all. Yeah. So not a lot of my family have tried it. The ones who have, some have felt it. Some say, yeah, you know, I felt I felt okay. I felt uh, alert or whatever. But it's beyond that. If if you get to the level where I get, and I really go 100% with the breath work, you know, you're you're literally flooding endorphins and serotonin and dopamine and cannabinoids and opioids and DMT and all this. You're flooding your body and your brain with it. So it's another level that's no mistaking. And that's that's how I feel every day. Yeah. And it's not, again, some people, I don't know, some people can do it, some people can't. I don't know why, but... But that's my formula, and it's kind of what the book is about. I have my formula in the back of the book. I call it Bulletproof Routine, so that's my morning routine, you know. Nice. Yeah, I feel like, well, with most things, you get what you put into it, you know. So if, mm -hmm. if these people don't fully believe in it or they're not giving it 100%, then they're not going to um, right. get that in return. So. Right, and I think that's definitely what it is. Um, it has to be because anybody that I've really like, I've walked through and done it. I was actually teaching um, some stress relief classes down in La Paz in January, February, March before Corona, before COVID hit. Mm -hmm. I was I was teaching um, this style of breath work with some yoga and kind of a stress relief class, and so and we did an ice bath afterwards, and they felt it. So and but I took them through there, and we went, you know we did the whole deal. So. So I'm certain that is what it is. If, if you're not really feeling the way I'm feeling, you just didn't really put in 100%. Because I've tried it with others, and it, they do they do feel it. Yeah, I've read it all over. Like, I read it on Reddit, too. <laughs> like, yeah, right, there's, right. there's articles everywhere about Wim Hof and how it, like, feels mm -hmm. like DMT. Even if it's, like, a little bit different than DMT, it's still, like, relatable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or a subtle, you know, subtle form of yeah of DMT. Which some people have said. I, I've done it with people who have smoked DMT, and they said, yeah, it's kind of like microdosing DMT. Okay. Uh, you know, and and um, and you know, I, I do literally consider this just endogenous microdosing. You know, let's just put a term to it. If you want to have a great day, if you want to feel good, if you want to think good, if you want to be in a good mood. Um, you know, there's two ways to kind of go about life. That's reactively and, and then, yeah, it's reactively or proactively. We have all of these wonderful things in our bodies that we, we do have control over. And if you can learn how to, how to manipulate them to your benefit and mm -hmm. how, to, how to make your body feel good, then your mind is going to like that. And then it's a feedback loop. And then you, you know, keep that going. And you can do that. And that's that right there will take you out of depression. You know? yeah, and that's, that's great. That's no drugs at all. Yeah, um, that's where I'm so um, interested in kind of the placebo effect. Mm -hmm. just, Absolutely. It just seems yeah. like we have a lot more power than we're being led oh, to yeah. believe, you know? Like we, we always need these external things to help us, um, you know, heal. Right. Like we need surgery or we need medicine or, you know, antibiotics or whatever. But I feel like there's there's something in our brains that we just have to tap into to be able to, you know, work right. stuff out. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the past 40, 50 years of pharmaceutical activities not been good, you know. No. It's, it's made some of it has been, but like the victims, you know, like you can't do anything about your health. You like you say, you need these external things, external yeah. pills, drugs, whatever. We're very dependent. Very dependent. Dependent, right, dependent. And it's just not true, you know, it's not true at all. That's a big point in my book. It's, we are nature. We're, we are the equivalent of nature, mm -hmm. you know. But it's so we weird these days, like, how everybody is so, like, people are allergic to peanuts and bees yeah. and 
just like these and pollen like how is everybody allergic to pollen like how would we survive if we didn't have houses and like these pollen medications like it's just ridiculous i don't understand it exactly yeah it's well that's what wim hof talks about a lot is that we've just become weak Mm -hmm. because it's precisely because we do live in homes and we wear clothes and we're always comfortable yeah we're in these bubbles yeah and it's just getting worse with covid like because we're (laughs) we're now like literally we need bubbles apparently you know but (laughs) we just need to like push through it somehow i don't know right well the way to push through it you know i can go on a whole covid rut for hours (laughs) (laughs) whatever you want to talk about man (laughs) (laughs) well it's just you know because this is exactly what you need to do this you know another benefit of the wim hof method is the the immune boosting properties that they've shown uh that it just boost the immune system like crazy you know he they put Wim Hof they injected him with uh the cell wall of E. coli and he he was able to like modulate his immune response suppress literally suppress his immune response to this E. coli bacteria right so there's something there there's something there and he's able to do that by reducing inflammation the breathwork has shown all of this to be true to be facts and the COVID, what is killing people is an overreaction of the immune system. It's right. a flood of cytokines, a flood of, you know, it's just, it's literally overreacting because it's a novel virus, doesn't know what to do, freaks out. The Wim Hof Method literally resets your immune system. You know, they've shown all of this to, to work, to actually happen. Whether that would apply to COVID, we don't know. We have to test it, we'd have to see, but mm-hmm. it's something, it's possible. So it just boggles my mind that there's no talk whatsoever about Wim Hof has actually been on, on not TV, but on his YouTubes and whatnot. And he's, he's literally said, I challenge any scientist or doctor to prove me wrong about this, that the key is an inflammation to control COVID. And we're showing that we can control inflammation. So why aren't people talking about this? I, I don't think any doctor or scientist has challenged him, of course. You know, but it's mind-boggling. It costs nothing. We everybody has access to it. It's air. It's free. It's well, science. that's the problem. There's no profit. That is the problem, right? Yeah, that is the problem. I, mean, I do know the problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. um, when you do these meditations, do you light any incense or anything like that, or is it just like you just breathe air? No, I don't. I mean, I would sure, but I would. I love incense. Um, but um, again, my the method to my madness is. First thing, quickly get to the yoga mat. Yeah. <laughs> because, because when I was going through this, you know, after after the, the mushroom trip on the December 22nd, again, I said I was ecstatic and everything was really, I felt wonderful all the time. But, of course, I would hear songs that would remind me of, you know, my ex-wife where I would, you know, I'd kind of dip down every once in a while. And uh, these would be the things that, that bring me out of it. It, it um well, and especially dreams. So I did continue to dream for a while of my ex-wife and my previous life and, of course, nightmares about all that. Uh, you know, and, and I realized during those times how much dreams really affect you. I think we've all woken up where you feel stressed. You just wake up and you're just, like, worried, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's probably because you're having a stressful dream of some sort. You just don't remember it. Um, there's been a lot of studies on this as well. Um, Jordan Peterson talks about this, uh, that uh, a lot of anxiety – you have in the days because of your dreams it's actually a process dreaming is a process to resolve traumas and and problems during the day it's just too much if your waking consciousness tries to resolve all this so dreaming has a function of resolving a lot of trauma and so you that's why you have nightmares you're, you're just working things out to try and create to make sense of your reality okay and uh, cool. so you get left and the physical what's left when you wake up is the physical manifestation of that dream which is anxiety so you have your stress hormones in your body because you're just having a dream, you know. So it's your mind. So if I just cut that and circumvent that, get to the yoga mat, and I flood my body with the feel-good hormones, all of a sudden my mind thinks, ah, everything's fine. And so for me, it's more of a practical, quick get on the yoga mat before my mind tries to show up and cause problems, you know. And that's every day. That's still to this day, especially now with all the stress of COVID and all this and financial worries. You know, life is not easy for me at all. Like This is... It's not. I'm not some author who wrote a book and living some wonderful life. I am living a wonderful life. <laughs> it's amazing. I still at the beach and surfing, and but uh, 
you know, it's stressful. I have to, this hard things to do. So I have, I still battle with my mind every day. Yeah, life continues, I guess, eh? Like it. it continues, yeah. Yeah, and new challenges and big challenges and even bigger challenges. And, you know, that's the thing about life is it's not going to stop. Mm-hmm. It's only going to get, you know, the problems are going to get bigger and bigger, really. Yeah, and we just have to learn how to overcome those bigger and bigger challenges. That's that's life, I guess. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. That's pretty much that's where it gets into the philosophy section of my book, which is like kind of how my book ends. Is is exactly the key, you know, the key to happiness. What I what I understood in that moment on December twenty second, and continued to manifest over the next two years, is that the key to happiness. Thanks for listening to part one. I left you with a cliffhanger to find out Gerardo's key to happiness in part two and a conclusion in part three. I'll leave the link to Gerardo's book, Taking Back My Mind, in the episode description. Make sure to subscribe to Two Temples and listen to the previous conversations with all the awesome guests. If you have a comment or anything you'd like to share on the podcast, email me at twotemplespodcast at gmail.com. The best way to support Two Temples is by sharing the podcast with your friends and on social media. Thanks to Gerardo for sharing, and thank you for listening. Ciao for now.